When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle, from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, a.k.a. 5E, is full-spectrum high-milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Over the Monster podcast. Uh, as is the case every week, it is me, your host, Matt Collins, and I am joined by Brian Joyner, and uh, we are talking after a series win for the first time in what feels like forever and isn't actually because I think that actually happened last week, but um, it was a weird and wild game on Monday, but that is when we are speaking. Brian, what is going on? Well, we were speaking on Tuesday, but it was weird and wild, and it it kind of doesn't feel like a series win, honestly. <laughs> no, it does um, not. It really doesn't, and the Orioles hardly counts, and the Rangers hardly would have counted, which is why I suppose it, it doesn't really feel like a series win, but it goes in the record book just the same. It counts the same in the standings, and the standings... Uh, as of now, and we are, as we do pretty much every week, we're recording Tuesday afternoon, so this is before Tuesday's game against the Twins, but uh, the Red Sox are alone in a playoff sp- uh, spot right now because Oakland is also 
reeling right now, fortunately, for the Red Sox. So they still trail the Yankees by two and a half games for the top spot, but the Red Sox are alone in a playoff spot right now. Um, that said, I think I think the big topic around the team right now and the thing that we're going to kind of focus on in the beginning portion of this podcast is uh, my favorite, a guy who is just not good right now, Matt Barnes, um, in that weird and wild game on Monday. Um, it really looked like things. it was going to be another devastating loss, uh, in part because or mostly because Matt Barnes just imploded in the ninth, uh, gave up two runs, um, let the Rangers tie it, force extras, all of that uh, good stuff. Um, he has been pretty brutally bad in August. Um, he's got a 15-19 ERA in August. He's given up uh, nine runs in the month of August. Uh, he gave up 11 earned runs in the entire first half, uh, just to paint a picture of how much worse he has been in um I mean, this is a tight playoff race, and the closer is performing poorly. That is clearly a problem. Is this just a normal sort of August slump for Matt Barnes, or is this something something to be concerned with down the stretch? And I guess those aren't mutually exclusive, but is this something you're concerned about, or you think this is something he's going to work best? This is something I'm concerned about, and um, I'm not particularly surprised it's not that I'm su- not surprised in the sense that uh, I think that Matt Barnes is bad or anything. I just feel like some regression was due to happen, and it is happening. I would ask, I would more turn it on you because this is really your area of expertise. It's, uh, I am a little concerned. I mean, okay, I'm a, I'm a lot concerned. It's... A little strange just because when I think of the Matt Barnes of old, the pre-2021 Matt Barnes um, obviously had his struggles at times too, but it felt like it was typically he just couldn't find the strike zone, which is not what's happening here. He's, I mean, his walk rate this month is 10%, which is not good, but it's, I mean, you can live with the 10% strikeout rate or uh, walk rate if you're striking guys out like Matt Barnes can. He's just getting crushed um he's just giving up a ton of hard contact uh Fangraf says he hasn't given up any soft contract contact this month he literally has a zero percent soft contact rate which is not ideal um his fastball in particular is getting crushed and he he's a two-pitch guy so if one of your pitches is not working um it's kind of hard to dig yourself out of that hole I don't know if it's a mechanical issue that is not really my strong suit but I think this race is just too close to have that sort of liability in the ninth inning so the good news is that he's still striking guys out he's got a 35 percent strikeout rate this month uh, it was higher than that in, um every month in the first half but 35 percent is still very good so he is still missing pass which is what he does best but he needs to uh when one contact is made he needs to get back to keeping that fastball either above the zone or at the very top of the zone because anything below that, which is where they've been more often, they're getting crushed. So I don't really know how you fix it. I think it can be fixed. I think we've seen the talent, but I don't – with five, six weeks left in the season, I don't know that you can really count on that. And then obviously that's just a huge problem going forward. And then you talk about potential changes, and then, I mean, that's really what the conversation is here. Is there – are we at the point where you have to at least start thinking about we need a new closer. Somebody else is going to have to step into this role. I mean, I don't know why you're asking it like a hypothetical question. Like the entirety of Red Sox Twitter isn't clamoring for Garrett Whitlock. I mean, whether, okay, you and I are clearly at the point because we're talking about it, but that seems to be the general consensus right now that the team would be better off with Whitlock um, as the closer, and again, as your area of expertise, I will kick it to you. What do you think of that idea? I mean, in the first glance, it makes sense. I mean, Whitlock has been lights out. He's had a couple of hiccups recently, but nothing close to what Barnes has been going through. And then where Barnes was almost the goat on Monday, um, Whitlock was the hero. He was incredible when he came in. He got Barnes out of that ninth inning with the tie still intact, and then he threw another two innings and in extras. Um, to keep the game going, it got the win. My only issue is that it doesn't really feel like it's solving the problem so much as it's just moving it. Because if you move 
Whitlock into the ninth, that's great. The ninth inning looks a lot better, but now the sixth, seventh, eighth inning doesn't look as comfortable because you no longer have Whitlock and now Barnes is in there. And is it, I mean, I suppose it's better to have Barnes in the seventh or eighth than in the ninth, but it's not that much of a difference. To me, the issue is still that they don't have the depth that you'd like to see from them, um, which is something obviously you've been talking about since before the trade deadline, why we wanted them to get pitchers better than Hansel Robles and Austin Davis. But so, I mean, I guess to answer the question, yeah, I guess I would at least consider it. I probably wouldn't make the move right now, but another bad outing or two from Barnes, I'm probably pulling the trigger. But I really, I don't think that totally solves the problem. You still need, bottom line is they still need Matt Barnes to pitch close to what he was in the first half for this bullpen to work, or it just it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, so it, yeah. Uh, I, I tend to agree with that, that the problem is not reshuffling where Matt Barnes is. The problem is Matt Barnes has to be good. They just need him to. I mean, that's just... I mean, if they had had a deeper bullpen, you could theoretically put Matt Barnes down to, like, the fifth guy, and you still need him to be good, but it's not as important. But, I mean, Adam Montevino isn't pitching particularly well right now either. Um, Sawamora and Taylor have been pretty good this year but they're like still pretty inconsistent Robles has been pitching better since he imploded upon first arriving in Boston but he's still not really somebody you can trust really Whitlock is the only guy that I wholeheartedly trust right now in the bullpen and that is that is the problem I mean Matt Barnes is also the problem but Whitlock the other guys are also the problem it's just a bullpen wide problem well, it's not coming at a good time for the trade deadline yeah let's pick somebody up before the trade deadline let's go out <laughs> Get one of the top na- – hold on. Wait. I've been informed that the trade deadline has <laughs> passed. But, I mean, really, I mean, this was a problem. Not this specific problem I don't think could have been foreseen. I think, like you said, there was some regression due, but the extent to which it's happening I don't think anybody could have foreseen. And I don't blame the front office for Matt Barnes imploding, but I blame the front office for not having better options because we talked about before the tra- trade deadline that Ottavino was starting to break down and he wanted to, we wanted to get somebody else to kind of give him a break and not have to rely on him so much. That didn't happen, and now he's still the eighth inning guy. Um so, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think everybody calling for Whitlock, and we've had we ha- did get a couple questions from this on this um, from uh, Kevin Pedraja and the Surfing Guy, both talking about moving Whitlock to the ninth. But again, it just Matt Barnes is still factoring into the late inning situation, and that is sort of ultimately the problem here. Yeah, but it's a problem that I think. You know, there's no way around it. It's just, even if they did replace it, and by the way, more than other moves, I could see them flipping it because it's, you know, Barnes was the setup man for so long, um, and it's just glaring right now. And it's not a position player. You know, it's a, it's a bullpen thing. And I think inherent in any bullpen move is you can always just change it back. So it wouldn't totally surprise me, but I'm with you that it won't stop the bleeding. You just won't be bleeding from your foot. You'll be bleeding from, like, your upper leg. <laughs> and, I mean, do you, if he blows a game in the seventh or whatever, then you get two winnings to make up for, whereas in the ninth it's it's over or you're going to extras. Um, and, I mean, I think the other reason that you can, maybe not comfortably, but somewhat more comfortably i guess move barnes is that he um he just signed his extension he's under contract for a couple more years he doesn't have to worry about losing his closer role right before free agency and then that turning into a thing he's he's locked up but the other part of that is i mean people are blaming or pointing to the contract extension as when things started going downhill that's not entirely accurate he was pretty good for July. He only let up one run in July and that was before his contract extension. Um, Strikeout stuff wasn't really there as much but I think, I don't really think that um, that argument holds too, too much water um, especially without actually knowing Matt Barnes. Um, I think it's a little unfair to kind of say that he's taking it easy now that he has the contract but I will ask if you think 
that the Red Sox are regretting the extension now. Um, if we're seeing if they maybe bought too much into that first half and now they're having a little bit of buyer's remorse. I don't think so. I mean, I think that this was probably maybe not this um, violent of a of a shift was baked in, but I assume that, you know, they only look at things long-term and they must, I mean, they made that very clear at the trade deadline. So I think that they don't regret it. I mean, the same thing to some degree happened with Evaldi where he signed the extension and then got hurt and people are like, Oh, this is what happens when you sign somebody to an extension coming off their best performance. But you know what? That's been fine. So I don't, um, and that was under a different regime anyway. And I think that this one is far more forward looking. So I, I don't think so. I don't think they're regretting it. Yeah. I mean, I, I bet I would say if you gave them some truth serum, they're probably feeling a little more nervous about it. But I mean, the big difference between this and the Avaldi contract is just the size of it. This, frankly, isn't that big of a contract. I think he's getting. Fifth, about fifteen million uh, over two years, so about seven and a half average annual value. That I mean, it's not like they gave this guy Earldus Chapman money or something like that, and they're counting on him to be a top three reliever in baseball for the next two years for the life of his contract. This he's making good setup man money. They can still go out and get a closer and feel good about it. So I think they're probably, um, like I said, I think they're probably feeling a little bit more nervous about it just because they're not seeing the same Matt Barnes that they saw before the contract extension, but I don't, they don't need him to be first half Matt Barnes to feel good about that contract. They just need him to be a major league eighth inning reliever, which he has been for most of his career. So um, this is just the life of a reliever. And again, this is the extent to which he's struggling this month is certainly an aberration and it's not normal, but we see relievers have bad months and Matt Barnes in particular seems to always struggle in August. Um, which was unfortunate last year because that was half the season. But I just, this, like you said, this front office is too forward-looking. They didn't, it's not like they weren't expecting any sort of ebbs and flows with Barnes's career. So um, it's an inopportune time for the team, obviously, but in terms of the contract, I think it's Matt Barnes is still Matt Barnes. Though. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope he's still Matt Barnes. That would be a bigger problem. <laughs> that would be. If he yeah, was least... not Matt Barnes anymore. <laughs> That would be, but then that'd be breach of contract. So that's perfect, you know. Then they can get it back. Well, I think you could change your name. Giancarlo Stanton used to be Mike Stanton. That's true. Yeah, it happens. Just ask uh, Fausto Carmona. I was going to say it, but I couldn't remember what he doesn't exist. What was it? No, I think Fausto Carmona was the second name, wasn't it? No, it was the first name. It was like Robert Hernandez afterward. I thought it was the other way around, but you're probably right. Um, yeah, yeah uh, that was the other one I was going to bring up. I think there was one more, but I can't remember it. All right. Uh, well, last... there's, Joey and, uh, there's Joey Albert Bell. There's a lot, actually. Wait, Albert Bell's real name is Joey? Oh, yeah. His, yeah, when he started, his his like rookie cards in his first few years, he was Joey Bell. And then one day he's like, no, I'm Albert Bell. Call me Albert I, Bell. See, that one I never knew. I learned something today. This is why we talk about Matt Barnes, because we learned things I'm pointing at Bell. my muscle just like he did uh, in, the, <laughs> in the dugout right now. Uh, Albert Bell's rookie year. Um, I think it's before I started watching baseball, so that is why I don't know that. Um, all right, one last thing on Matt Barnes. I think we probably, just judging by how we were talking at the beginning of this discussion, I think we both probably agree that Garrett Whitlock is the most... Probably the be- most likely to be the best Red Sox reliever for the rest of the season, right? You would, if you were ranking Red Sox relievers the rest of the season, you, would you have Whitlock one? If you were answering right now and said anything but Whitlock, right? It would be one, nutty. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And let the only person who would do it. Would be me. It's you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm not. I'm not going. I I would say Whitlock, and I think there are concerns with Whitlock, obviously, with his age and lack of experience and workload and all that. But yeah, I think I think you would be getting a little too cute to not rank Whitlock number one right now. But after that, I think there is an argument for Matt Barnes, but I think there's arguments for other people as well. Where Where do you think Matt Barnes 
falls the rest of the season in terms of performance. Not in terms of usage, but just in terms of performance. I mean, I can't predict the future. Or is there anybody that you think is what you would consider putting over him at least? Um, if the other guys were pitching their best, sure, but I'm just going to say Barnes based on the talent. Yeah, I think I think that's where I go to. Um, the only other name that I was thinking of was Sawamura. Um, just because he seems like he got off to a shaky start this season, but since then he hasn't really been great, but he's been pretty much fine the entire season. So he kind of has he's the floor argument here, I guess. You know you're gonna get solid performance. Um and I don't think I can say that about anybody else. I think everybody else I think Barnes, Ottavino, even Taylor have higher ceilings than him the rest of the way, but I think Sawamora is pretty safe. Um, but still, I think you have to bet on the upside with Barnes. And um, and the fact that, I mean, his curveball is still looking mostly nasty. It's just the fastball um, is not being located. So it's easier said than done fixing that, but I think just based on the talent, I think you're right that you have to go Barnes after Whitlock. But we will, we will see how they... Uh, how they use that ninth inning will be probably one of the most interesting things to watch down over the last six weeks or so. Um, all right, moving on from Matt Barnes, uh, we're going to go into some stuff that might be a little dated uh, by the time you listen to this, but I think it's interesting just for discussion's sake. And um, Tanner Houck is going to be recalled uh, after we talk before people listen to this he is starting for Tuesday's game and he has been um, really dragged around between Boston and Worcester for the last month um, so between going back to July 16th he has been reassigned so either promoted or to Boston or demoted back to Worcester eight times um, in the last month it's just crazy and so I had been under the impression this whole time that he wasn't losing service time and wasn't losing major league pay because I had thought that the rules said that if you're not down for 10 days, um, you still get that service time. But Chad Jennings at the athletic, uh, wrote a story saying that wasn't the case and that he actually has been losing service time, which really makes me think about this in a totally different light. Um, I don't think the Red Sox were doing this for service time reasons. I don't think Tanner Houck falls in that category just because of his age and his injury history and all that i think they were just doing it for roster reasons but i don't think that necessarily makes it any better and i don't think the fact that he seems to be uh taking it in stride and not really having it bother him matters that much either i think it's kind of i think it's a garbage way to go about treating your players and i was uh curious if you had thoughts on that i both agree with you but I'm just saying from their perspective, the system is the system. The system is not fair to guys in his position. Um, if they can send him down, they will. I'm, you know, I'm not going to make any guesses as to whether their intention is to recoup a little service time. However, I am positive that they are aware that this is an ancillary benefit. Oh, yeah, they're definitely not, ancillary. like... Yeah, they're not, like, sad about that fact or anything. They know what's happening, and they're they're good with it. I just don't think... I don't. I, I guess I, I don't think they would have been doing this if they didn't have all the days off and doubleheaders and stuff that allowed it. Yeah, it but, I, I mean, honestly, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. And, you know, it... If it happened with... Uh, Jonathan Arauz, I would just be like, yep, that's just the way it works. And it's hard for me to feel too much differently um, about the fact that it's happening with Tanner Houck. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I think they're committing high crimes and treason or anything like that, and they need to be put to death. I just think it's, it's not the best way to treat your players. And I mean, it's just, it sucks for Tanner Houck. He, he hasn't really had to go down to Worcester. I'm pretty sure he's been with the team this whole time. They're not actually making him go to Worcester and sit in those dugouts and go on those bus rides. But it just, 
has and timing has just been so weird. He's been in the rotation since July and is still doing this because of all the double headers and they can call him up as the twenty seventh man before ten days and all that. It's just been very strange. Um, I was I was just mostly bummed out to learn that he wasn't getting on service time. And I mean, like I said, to, according to him at least, what he's saying publicly doesn't bother him. Who knows if it bothers him much privately or not? But um, I don't think it's anything that any other team wouldn't do. I don't think the Red Sox are some particularly evil organization that would do this, and I don't even think this is an evil thing or, any, or anything like that. It's just um, just something I think that they could have handled better. I don't think that they needed to keep Axel Rios and Austin Davis or whoever else on the roster just to make this happen, but they uh, they disagreed. Yeah, I mean, they have been very stubborn with their the back end of their roster and how they want to see it constructed, which has been some consternation to you, but uh, on the three man bench tip, not the, Oh, we'll get back to that. uh, Yeah, of course. I mean, we always do, but um, I am glad that you do not think that the Red Sox should be put to death because gosh knows I have had my issues with this organization and I've only said they should have been put to death like three times. (laughs) Well, I don't think you can kill um, something that's not living, but that might be... Corporations uh... are people, my friend. <laughs> that is a good point. I uh, I did forget about that. Um, okay, so that wasn't the outdated part. The outdated part is uh, what we're going to talk about next, um, which is how they make room on the roster for Tanner Houck. So this time, I think this time Houck is up for good. They don't have the double headers. They don't have the off days to mess with the rotation. If they are indeed keeping him in the rotation, which I assume they are, um, he will be up for good. They do have to make a move, though, and there really isn't a clear and obvious guy to go down like there has been for so much of the season, whether it's been Connor Wong hanging out on the roster, or Jonathan Arauz, or Yaxel Rios, or one of these guys who's been clearly just waiting to go back down. Now it's a little bit more complicated, and like I said, when you're listening to this, you're already going to know, but I think the process of how they're making this decision is easy, or is interesting. Um, and I think it comes down to Austin Davis or Jaron Duran, which kind of in turn, at least partially, go, comes down to do you want a three-man bench or do you want a four-man bench? And... I've kind of I've gone back and forth both about what I would do and what I think they're going to do. I really have no idea as of this moment. Do you have a preference or do you have a feeling about which way they're going to go? Do you think I have or, no feeling? I have no feeling. My preference is that they send down Austin Davis. I think I'm not positive. That's my preference. Um, that thought I was saying what my preference was. Yeah, well, you made it sound like it was obvious. Um, it I, is, to, I think. <laughs> I just you, I, you disagree. I don't think there's. I don't know where Jaron Durant's playing right now. With Christian Arroyo back, I assume oh, he'll get hurt. He'll get hurt in a week. Yeah, but then you can bring up Durant at that point. Um, but I guess with assuming nobody's hurt. Sorry, he'll get hurt in an hour. <laughs> Assuming nobody is hurt, you move Kike back to the outfield. Uh, Kyle Schwarber should be playing first soon. You have Christian Arroyo at second. Duran doesn't really have anywhere to play, and I think there is value to having him on the bench in terms of the 2021 Red Sox. That speed is super enticing, and the bat, while he's been striking out a lot since coming to the majors, there's still that power. He still has that potential with the bat um, and the legs. I think that helps, but I don't know if that is more valuable than him just going back and getting some playing time for a couple weeks before he can come back up in September. I think that's the argument to send Duran down, but I think the argument to send Davis down is that he kind of stinks and that they already have enough relievers and they don't really need him, especially when you have Martin Perez and Garrett Richards, both of whom can go like three innings at a time. You don't really need that mop-up guy anymore. Um, So I think just talking through it right now, I would prefer Davis to go down as well, but I think they're going to send Duran down. That That would be my guess if I had to put money on it, which I would not... Um, put money on anything because that is putting betting on something like this would be strange yeah i mean the whole austin davis thing 
has been confusing from the outset. So yeah. the fact they got him at all, yeah, somehow um, leads one to believe that they might do what you say. I just hope they don't because Austin Davis is worthless. Sorry. Sorry, Austin. And I mean, the other part of this um, is that it's really only a temporary decision. Um, rosters expand. They get two extra roster spots in a week um, on September 1st. And they wouldn't be able to come right back up uh, right away, which I I thought I they could. But Chris Hatfield um, corrected me on that one. They would still have to wait the 10 days. But if they did send Duran down... Uh, on Tuesday, for instance, they could just call him back up on, I believe, September fourth um, or September third. So it's not well that well that makes it way more likely that it will be Durant. That's what- Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But I think too, but I do think that. That's why I think they're going to do it, but I do think the case for Durant still stands because these every game matters at this point. There aren't. I mean, I know they're playing a soft part in their schedule, but you still want every edge, and I still think that for the 2021 Red Sox, what Jaron Durant can do as a pinch runner and as a pinch hitter and starting sometimes. I mean, he doesn't have to be on the bench literally every game. I think that's more valuable than what you can get from Austin Davis and especially if you assume that he's coming back up in September. I don't really know that playing every day for a week is all that valuable, but like I said, people will know this by the time they listen, but I do. It's something I've been thinking about for the last couple of days and I haven't really been able to get a straight thought on it. So I just wanted I mean, to you've, discuss it. You've basically been thinking about it the entire season. It's just different names have been popped into this <laughs> equation. And especially with Duran, you've been saying this for like six weeks. Well, the thing with Duran is, I mean, it's just, I would obviously feel differently if he was hitting better. Um, obviously, if he was hitting better, it wouldn't really even be a discussion. It would be he needs to be in the lineup every day and you uh, figure things out around that. But he isn't hitting. And I think he had been looking better um, his last few games. And then he hasn't really been playing as much lately. So he'll probably be striking out a lot whenever he does play just because he isn't getting that timing down. Um, but. The fact that he has a 56 WRC plus kind of ne- necessitates the um, the question and makes makes it so I won't be I won't lose my mind if he goes down. If he had been hitting well and he went down, I would lose my mind. Um, but if he goes down right now, I can I can see it even if it's not what I would do. Um, the other part uh, I did mention Kyle Schwarber a little bit earlier. Schwarber has been. Um, he has been a nice addition to the lineup uh, since he's been playing. We haven't really seen the power, but he's drawing walks at like a ridiculous uh, rate, uh, which is very nice to see. Nice to see somebody drawing walks on this team and actually showing a little bit of patience, which is not something that this offense has done much this year. Uh, but defensively, we haven't really seen anything. He did play left field on Monday, um, and they are saying he's going to play first base at some point this week. I believe I saw somebody mention Thursday, although I don't know um, if that is still the plan or if that was just an idea. But anyways, uh, Kyle Schwarber playing first base, I think it opens up so much more for the lineup. Like I was saying, with you could put Arroyo at second pretty much every day. You could put Kike back in center field. But then you're left with Bobby Dalbeck and Travis Shaw both on the bench i mean what uh, can you keep both of those guys on the bench does that you have a bench of 
Plawecki, Shaw, and Dalbeck? Is that workable? Well, Shaw won't be on the bench. He's ascended to a higher plane. That's true. Um, He'll be floating because, above the bench like an angel. You know what that reminds me of in retrospect, especially if he doesn't do much the rest of the year, which, frankly, is more likely than not, is that Brandon Phillips home run. The home from, run, I yeah. think it was 2018. Um, that was awesome. <laughs> One of my favorite home runs um, of all time. It, it was, was so good. It was so good. Um, so let's hope Shaw does a little bit more. But, it, you know, obviously, if there's ever a capital T, capital P turning point, that would be narratively a very easy one to pin it on. The answer is I don't know. I mean, the whole, it's it's just, I, I mean, they love, they love Ploiecki. Um, Bobby D has been hitting well. And Shaw, they went out and got. So it seems like they're going to just stick with that group of dudes and they're happy with it. I don't know. I don't know any other way to read it. I mean, it's, it would be much easier to have this conversation and to dismiss Shaw if he hadn't just hit a walk-off Grand Slam. Yeah. However, time... however, he did. <laughs> it's, it is a thing that happened. I think he is far and away the best defensive first baseman on the roster who knows what Schwarber can do and I mean he could probably handle it fine I hope Um, but Shaw I think is a good defensive first baseman and I think there is some value to that um, late in games and I mean the versatility thing is sort of out the door Danny Santana is ostensibly coming back although I don't really think we'll see him again and Marwin Gonzalez is obviously gone but they still have Kike and he can help fill in some defensive gaps if they need to later in the game I think I think with Shaw it really comes down to how good or bad Schwarber looks at first base if he comes in and they don't really have any concerns there and they feel like they can turn to Bobby Dahlbeck for defense if they really have to, even though he has he's been okay but not great at first base. I think Shaw could be gone at some point in September if he doesn't hit. I don't know that I would bet on it, but I think it's just tough to carry two first basemen on the bench. Um, and I certainly think they would get rid of Shaw before Dahlbeck. So um, I think it's something that, we're not going to see any action on in a couple of weeks. So they're going to give Schwarber some time to see what he looks like at first base. But I think Shaw's future with the team pretty much just comes down to how good or bad Schwarber is there. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, Shaw is Shaw has already done more than anybody expected. Yeah, I mean, one um, by a walk off Grand Slam swing. is yeah a walk off Grand Slam. You're good. You can get you can get your money. You've you've done enough this year. I will take it. Um, all right, roster, like I said, roster ex- expands September 1st. It is no longer um, 40-man rosters, which I think I kind of miss. At the time when they made the rule, I was all about it. I hated the 40-man roster expansion. It really didn't make sense. But now I'm kind of missing it. I There's a lot of guys that I would like to see up. Um, but do you... Who do you, I mean, the two extra spots, anything, you think we're going to see anything interesting like Connor Siebold or something like that, or is it just going to be guys that we've already seen this year just coming back up? I mean, I hope to see Connor Siebold, and I, I wouldn't be surprised given how they prioritized pitching the entire season. Um, but other than him, I don't, you know, I don't. Don't think we're going to yeah. get a Downs or Cassis sighting, if that's yeah. what you're asking. No Marcella Meyer. No I mean, New if York. he keeps hitting home runs. <laughs> no, I think I think we're going to see whoever gets sent down for Hulk is probably going to come back up. Like I said, they'll have to wait a couple of days, but I think they'll be back up. Um, and then Ryan Brazier is almost back. I His rehab still is not going great performance-wise, but they keep saying that they are – at least a little encouraged by what they see. So I think he'll be back up. Um, I think hopefully Danny Santana will not be back up and they'll need a 40 man spot for Brazier. So Santana could be DFA'd, but I think it's going to be, I mean, that's not super exciting, but Brazier and Duran goes down today. Then I think Duran will be back up in September and that would probably be it. 
All right. Uh, last thing before we get into some listener questions, uh, I've just mentioned Nick York, and Nick York is the hottest hitter in the Red Sox system. Um, has just been absolutely insane, really for a few months now, but especially in August, he's just been out of control. And uh, Red Sox are sending him up to High A Greenville. I think he's the fourth best prospect in the system. Um, I would only put Casas, Duran, and Meyer ahead of him. Is that is that too much of a hot take? Am I being too reactive? No, I forgot that Duran hadn't exhausted his eligibility, and I was going to ask why you didn't have him third. But I think yeah. that no, I think you're right about that. I think you're right about that. I mean, this was the whole thing with York is boy can hit. The boy can hit. And boy, can he hit. Uh, and it's great to see. Look, high A is where um, often the rubber begins to meet the road for these guys, but he is not a guy I'm, I'm concerned about whether he will or will not uh, keep hitting at high A. I'm pretty sure he will hit uh, for the entirety of his career. And uh, it's... Again, it, it was extremely well done. You know what else was well done? I mean, Blaze Jordan is not a yeah. one-trick pony, as it turns out. He's been hitting. I think he is surprising me more than Nick York, honestly, uh, because I was worried that, sorry, Bobby, that we were looking at a, ball, a, a doll back. And Blaze has shown a little bit more than that, and that's nice to see. Now, obviously, so Bobby made too. it to the majors. Right, yeah. And 80,000 grade name. You can't, <laughs> cannot improve on it. Cannot be done. They have a blaze uh, and a brainer in their system, which is uh, it's, it's very nice. It's, it's great. And, uh, but, but the Nick York move allowed them to get Jordan. So it's really working on both, both ends, and it's, it's wonderful to see. Yeah, and I mean, I'll... Be the first to admit, I hated the draft last year. Um, I thought, it, mostly because of Jordan. Um, I wasn't thrilled about Nick York, but I would have liked it for a different player. I didn't like the Blaze Jordan profile. And look, he's still, he hasn't played a ton this year. He just right, and he's played like what? Up to Salem. Yeah, he played, uh, he played for a few weeks uh, in the complex, and then he's played like a week in Salem, but the reports have been incredible and I'm definitely feeling a lot better than about him than I was uh, before he started playing. And like I said, I mean, I think, yeah, as soon as Duran graduates, I think York is an easy number three in the system. I think he's going to be top 100 on a lot of lists next year. Um, Kylie McDaniel, early, uh, he does the prospect stuff for ESPN. He did a top 50 list um, earlier in the month, and then he had 20 guys who just missed his top 50. Nick York was among those 20, so he was somewhere in the 50 to 70 range for McDaniel. I think we're going to see him getting in that range for a lot of people, and it's he's hitting for power right now, which I'm not really expecting to carry over as soon as he gets to high A. I don't think we're going to see a ton of power um, against more advanced pitching, but he could just hit like hit singles he has an incredible approach he has a great swing um i'm blown away by nick york i don't think i don't think i could be any higher on him which like i said after the way i felt after last year's draft it is a surprise to me how excited i am about both these guys but york in particular yeah york has got a little bit of uh little madrigal action going on but um with actual power uh oh he's good yeah, obviously he's a little bit bigger probably, so he just, yeah. yeah probably not as much yeah he he's bigger he's he got probably won't make now. the same kind of contact yeah but i guess yes he probably won't be a threat to hit win like seven batting titles but yeah. uh but no it's it's awesome it's i mean this is why you know we talked about it last week how their top 10 system but yeah. This is part of what's pushing him up the ladder. And it's taking a lot of the sting away from uh, Jeter Downs kind of having a flop of a year. Um, I think I think we would he be hearing a lot more uh, disappointment about Jeter Downs if there wasn't Mickey York coming up behind him in the middle of the field as well. Also, Nomar's better, so, you know. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, I got some uh, some listener questions, some that we're stealing from uh, Jake because they didn't record yesterday. Um, but we have a couple about um, playoff odds uh, and what we think the Red Sox going to need to do for that. So, a great big lark asks how first he asks how many wins uh, do you think it'll take to secure a spot in the wild card game? Uh, he guessed so he guessed his ninety three. Fangraphs projections suggest that that mark is 90 um which one do you think of those which of those do you think sounds more right well he says 93 wins plus or minus two so that could be as low as 91 yeah so is it 91 or 90 Uh, i don't know i'm like the guy in the meme trying to press which button (laughs) i don't know i mean i think it's at least 90 and yeah i mean uh, that range sounds about right it's kind of so Kind of who they beat to get these wins is a lot of it too, because if they're taking wins away from the teams they're competing with, that could lower the number. Yeah. Um, but if well, they're so he, beating everybody, go ahead. He continues. He says, if they if it is ninety three, then they need to go twenty two or fourteen down the stretch. Uh, so he wants to know what percent you put on them making the playoffs. He says sixty, and then uh, one of my favorite. Twitter names out there, basically a house plan um, asks uh, what also asks what you think the playoffs odds are. I think us pulling percentages out of our ass um, doesn't really make much sense, but I'll say Fangraphs has it at 76%. Does that seem... Would you go over or under that? Uh, 76%? 76% to make the playoffs. I'll probably go a little bit under, but not that much. I would too. I I'm think they're. I think it's. We're not going to pull percentages out of our ass. We're going to take other percentages and shit on them. <laughs> exactly. We're going to take uh, percentages that have been meticulously calculated with algorithms I couldn't wrap my head around um, and tell you why they're wrong. No, I mean, I think it's above 50%, um, just because as bad as the Red Sox are playing right now, and they're playing very badly. Um, Oakland is also not playing very well, and I think the Red Sox are a little bit better than Oakland. I would probably, I would definitely go under seventy six, and I would go over fifty, so somewhere in that range. I think makes sense to me. Uh, Good choice. Thanks. Uh, Floyd wants to know: uh, Should the Red Sox realign the left side in the infield next year? Uh, Suggests moving Xander to second or Devers to first. Uh, do you think they need to make a change? I mean, the defense has been very, very bad the last couple of days in particular, but um, do you think they can stick with this for any longer, or is it time for a change? Xander's not moving. It's not happening. Um, it hadn't occurred to me to switch Devers. You know, it's... First of all, it depends on the Bobby Bobby Dahlbeck situation to some degree, and also the, to a lesser degree, I would say the Tristan Cassis situation. But I I wonder if there's a path. I mean, this, this could just be totally talking about nothing. But I, if Devers really struggles, I could definitely, I mean, he profiles as a first baseman pretty well because he's a big hitter. And Dahlbeck, is a natural third baseman. So it's not the craziest thing. Are they going to do any of this? No, I don't think so. But it's a fun thought experiment. Do you dis- do you disagree? Do you think it's possible? I disagree with you saying to a lesser extent Tristan Casas. I think that's the bigger part of it. Um, because you have to take time to let Devers learn first base. And, I mean, that would be basically his entire offseason, entire camp. And then if you have Casas coming Schwarber down, did it in five season. minutes. Yeah, but that's like an emergency thing. I think if you're moving Devers to first base, you want that's his future. And I think Casas, I mean, Casas is obviously part of the future. So I think if you're moving Devers from first base or uh, from third base, I should say, I think it's DH or nothing. Um, and I don't think that they need to move Devers from third base. I think he has had a bad couple of days. He's always going to have these stretches where he makes these infuriating errors. He's never going to win a gold glove. But for the most part, I think he's been very good defensively this year, especially for the last few months. Um, 
and I think you can live with it. I think, like you said, Bogarts isn't going anywhere. I actually think Bogarts um, is in more need of a move than Devers, but I think you can live with both of them where they are, especially when you have Tristan Costas coming up. And I mean, if J.D. Martinez opts out, which is something we're going to get to in a second, um, and you have that hole at DH and you have a good third baseman that you want to go target, sure, go put Devers at DH and just let him hit all day. I don't think anybody would be worse off for that. But I don't think they're at a position where they absolutely have to make a move. And uh, I don't think first base is the spot for Devers. I actually don't even think he'd be that much better there because I think his errors at third base mostly seem to be mental. Um, and I don't know why that would be any different at first base. The only reason I said it didn't seem likely with Casas is they've been clearly grooming him to play first base, but obviously they could reverse course on that. Who's that, Casas? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Casas. I mean, is I don't think he had... other than the first base. Right. Okay. There you go. Yeah, the, he played a little bit of third base when he was first drafted, but I think that was just they do that sometimes with young players. Um, let them play where they played in high school, and then the next year they'll play where they're really going to play. Um, but I think 46 minutes it took the dogs to start barking. Thank you, dogs. <laughs> Thank you, dogs. We're recording about later today, so we didn't uh, we didn't get the trash people coming by. But yes, they did. They mm-hmm. are barking. I don't know what they're barking at. Uh, where was I? Uh, okay, so speaking of JD opting out, uh, Gordon Comstock wants to know the tipping point uh, for offensive production for JD to want to opt out. He's asking for slash line and home run and RBI. I don't know that we need to go that deep, but I guess I would phrase it this way. Do you think there's a chance that he opts out this year? No. I don't either. Um, I just, especially with the CBA ending and the way that teams, teams are not going to spend a ton of money on a 34-year-old DH only guy. He's not going to beat his $22 million, and I think the Red Sox are fine with that. I don't think they're going to be complaining about having J.D. Martinez back. So I think he would have had to put up like a 150 WRC plus this year, which would have been, I mean, obviously elite. That would have been the best he's had since 2018. I think if he had gotten to that sort of top five-ish hitter in baseball again, he would have opted out, but anything short of that, he's he's going to stay, and I think that's good. I don't think it's a bad thing to have J.D. Martinez in the lineup for a little bit longer. I think something important to remember with J.D. Martinez. Now, free agents never for a long time did not come to the Red Sox and then Manny Ramirez did and sort of changed the landscape and the Red Sox became one of the big, mar- you know, huge market teams. Free agents came, but I don't remember one who came because he really wanted to play for the Red Sox until like someone on J.D. Martinez's level. And he did that. So I think that that's important to remember. And I think that he wants to, he wants to play for the Red Sox and not because he was drafted here, not because of the organizational loyalties. No, he just, he wants to play for the Red Sox. So that's part of the reason also where I don't think he would willy nilly uh, opt out to get a couple million more dollars. I mean, the man is wealthy and he's yeah. older. And I think he has connections. I mean, he has connections in the organization now. I think he and Cora, um, really get along well i think he gets along with the other hitters in the lineup i think he's comfortable here there's just a lot of reasons for him to stay and i and i think they're i mean we could the red sox are obviously not playing well right now but i think looking ahead to the next couple of years when he's still under contract they project to be pretty good and i think he would want adding the good potential of playing on a winning team just kind of tips the scales a little bit so i think for all those reasons he's i would be very surprised if he were to opt out um, all right, Anth asks, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we never expected to lead the division most of the first half, so why does this collapse hurt so much? In other words, we played well above where most of us expected are now coming back to Earth, so why do I feel shocked and betrayed? Because you're a human. Yes. And they were good. I mean, so they were playing better than... Either of us expected, and I I can't speak for you on this next part, but to me, they were doing it in a way that made sense, in a way that seemed like they could keep it going. And so for me, I think that's why um, 
that's why it hurts so much. It's not as if they were the Mariners from a couple of years ago when they came out of the gates red hot. Um, but I mean, by run differential and every other measure, everybody knew they were coming back down to earth. The Red Sox were good by any metric you looked at, any way you wanted to evaluate them. They were like an actually good team. So I think that's that's why it hurts. And the trade deadline doesn't help either. Yeah, and I mean they were they were playing a little over their heads. Um, a little, but not. I mean they were still they still looked like a team that could win a division. Yeah, nothing where you would say. Like there's probably some regression, but it doesn't didn't mean that the regression was going to be either extremely hard or even if it was soft, that it was all going to come exactly at the same time. Yes. Which I think when we look back on, it's going to when is going to what end up being the case that I think that the last few weeks we'll see some positive regression back to um, a better team, hopefully, and uh, we will look at the first three weeks of August is just like, oh, that was, that was hell. But the rest of the season was, was pretty good. Yeah. I, th- I think that sounds very, right. I think I'm going to, yeah, I think regardless of how things, well, not regardless if they totally tank the rest of the way, but I think if they play reasonably well, the rest of the season, I'm going to end up feeling good about the season in a way that I can't quite wrap my head around right now because it's hard to feel good about anything. All right, last uh, last question comes from what is this? Rissy's socks. So I gotta apologize. Last week on the podcast, I said Red Sox France was tweeting about Ivaldi's F war, and this is not Red Sox France. I believe he used to have yes, the Twitter handle right. Red Sox France. He does not anymore, and he DM'd me to say that. Um, so I apologize. And what does Nate Ivaldi have to do to get the consideration he deserves in the AL Sun Race? So Young Race is you Reseed Sox need to tweet more. That's it. That's that's what has to happen. Uh, See, I mean, my look, my he, answer was uh, turn into Garrett Cole. Yeah, that the the problem is that um it's He's gonna th- get this votes. Ha- he's gonna get votes, he's not gonna get any first place votes. Uh, I think uh I mean I think Cole might win it unanimously. Maybe not unanimously. Which, which is hilarious. Votes, which also is hilarious for this year and also shows that like he is really friggin' good. Yeah. He went through just a terrible period and by his own admission, like I can't pitch the same way. I don't know if you saw there was a he recently had a called third strike on the corner. Like apparently he has the most called third strikes on the corner, and it's just it's just incredible um, when when he's on how good he is and yeah that Ovaldi's value is Cy Young level but his Cy Young case kind of isn't um, no and he's got a three seven two yeah right he's just you can't win a Cy Young at that and it's a popular like he's and he's not for whatever it's worth even though Chris Sale hasn't been around he's not the best pitcher on his own team not that it mattered when Porcello won the Cy Young but forget about that. <laughs> That because that didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I I think he'll get some second place votes maybe, maybe like one or two second place votes. But I think it's going to be Cole, Lynn, maybe Robbie Ray, um, and then sort of everybody else coming up. Uh, him. So I, I think he'll be Here him. we go. Will he finish ahead or behind of Otani? For Cy Young? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what Otani's numbers look like. Um I could see Otani getting the narrative vote for sure, but well, he he'll probably really, finish behind. Really good. He's pitched a few. He's pitched a lot fewer innings. Um, right, of course, of course. But drawback. I mean, I, Otani. I actually, I don't think Otani. I think he'll finish ahead of Otani because I think people are stubborn about MVP also getting Cy Young love. I don't know. I think half the electorate will be. Stubborn, and the other half will be like, "I'm." Gonna yeah, it really vote. depends who gets. Uh, I mean, it's totally random who gets Cy Young votes this year, so it probably depends on the age skew of the. Because uh, if I was a voter, I'd be votes. like, "Man, when do you ever get to vote for the same dude?" <laughs> I mean, obviously, you can vote for a pitcher to be MVP, but that is not what I mean. Look, Otani's winning the MVP unanimously, probably. Um, yeah. Barring an injury and Vlad, you know hitting 60 home runs but how many home runs does otani have now like 45 i don't know 40 something yeah 
Um, so, yeah, I can see. I think they'll finish. Oh, he has 40. I think they'll finish about seconds. about the same range coming at it from two totally different uh, two totally different angles. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right, that seems like a good place to wrap this one up. I uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, uh, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, give us a rating and a review at that spot as well. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I run the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. Brian is at Brian Joiner. Brian with a Y, Joiner with an I. And uh, you can read all of our writing over at uh, OverTheMonster.com. And we'll be back with you next week.